Thank you for downloading this podcast from the Traverse Theatre, Edinburgh. We now join the theatre's literary officer and your host, Jennifer Williams. Hello and welcome to the first of what we hope will be an ongoing series of Travcast interviews with playwrights in which we will talk about the playwrights' current work and also explore some of their thoughts about the art of playwriting and the part it plays in their lives. It is my great pleasure to begin our very first Traverse podcast interview, Travcast interview, with the fabulous playwright Linda Radley. Linda is originally from Ireland and is now based in Glasgow. She works as both a playwright and a theatre maker and has worked in venues as diverse as a prison, a garden shed, and or the National Theatre of Scotland. Her play Future Proof is on during the festival at the Traverse and I thought we could start by asking you a little bit about Future Proof and um, we don't want to give the game away for people but I thought it, it might just be nice to let you start by talking a little bit about maybe what the play is about, why it's called Future Proof. Okay, um, so Future Proof tells the story of a group of um, freak show performers who are uh, in a travelling uh, group and they are sort of down on their luck. Um, at the beginning of the play, they've had to eat the horse and um, <laughs> they're su- surviving on sugar sandwiches. And um, so they have become um, something that audiences are no longer interested in looking at or at least something that audiences feel ashamed about looking at. And so... Uh, they're worried about what's going to happen next. Um, so you've got characters like uh, a very, very fat man. Um, we've got some Siamese twins, um, a bearded lady who also has no arms, uh, a mermaid, <laughs> and a hermaphrodite. Um, and at the beginning of the play, as I say, there's this question about um, how they're going to survive and what it is that they can do to make themselves more palatable and to bring the audiences back. And the owner of the auditorium, as it's called, is a character called Robert Riley, and he comes up with a potential solution, and that's what gets the, the drama started. And uh, and then the drama unfolds as each person reacts in a different way to what he proposes, um, and it goes from there. Fantastic. And I have heard, though correct me if I'm wrong, that this play originally, that it's it's been in, uh, it's been alive and being worked on for a little while now. A long time, <laughs> yes. Um, well, I suppose um, originally when I was, I moved to Scotland in 2005 mm-hmm. and in 2006 I was invited to come through, there was a, um, a residency on here for emerging playwrights um, during Traverse Cubed, which happened in oh, 2006. Yes. And the idea that I was proposing back then was a, an idea about reality television. Um, but it was a kind of a very uh, peculiar take on it, where it was a sort of circus take on the whole thing. Um, and what I figured out quite quickly was that it was a very literal take on the idea, that it was going to be of its time, it was going to have a particular moment in time and then pass and that wasn't it wasn't going to be relevant beyond reality tv and it, and i suppose what i d- discovered was that it was it was broader questions and issues mm. about voyeurism and what 
it means to be normal and um, all of that that I was more interested in. So I went away after that and started to think again. Um, I had a bursary from the Scottish Arts Council, as was um, a, a writer's bursary. Um, and I started working, I started doing a lot of research into freak shows. I've always really loved that times and and uh, and I love things that are theatrical, I suppose. Mm. And it, it, in and of itself, it has that theatricality. Um, but I, I guess it would be, I mean, it would be wrong to say it's taken me f four or five years to write the play. It, it's just been there the whole time. And during two of those years, I was working in an admin job. Uh, I was also, I made my play The Art of Swing, which I was in, and that was touring, And um, but I would come back to it. And then eventually, when I had a draft that I was happy with, um, I sent that through to the Traverse because I felt like they had been interested in the idea in the beginning. Mm -hmm. And then, then I was commissioned and then it went from there. So I was commissioned at the beginning of 2010. So, I mean, I think that's when the play really took off. And from there, there's been, I think, maybe three or four, well, probably more than that, actually, drafts. But those are the sort of full, dr meaty drafts yes. that are in discussion you know, that you do in discussion with the theatre that's making the play and all of that. Yes, because I wonder if people who haven't worked on the inside of, of new writing theatres realise how many, um, that process of, of the many drafts that you go through. And we have in the Traverse Archive these humongous folders of some some plays have 10 draft versions. I know, and it's, it's phenomenal. Yeah. Um, and it, writing is definitely about rewriting and editing and cutting down and um you know and um I, i'm and not having any anything extra that doesn't need to be there and all mm -hmm. of that um but it is it's quite something and it, and it's i think it can be really difficult to um to hold on to what it is that you really feel and that you are really passionate about especially when you're getting a lot of opinion but but then there's also some really lovely opportunities within that process like we did an early reading here with actors which was just phenomenal for me mm. to have an opportunity to hear it read and once that happens you very quickly realize what's working and what's not working and whether what you're intending is coming across and then equally when we sort of went into production we did three days um, towards the end of the process in Dundee Rep and just on script development with the actors before I wrote the very, very final draft. And that was wonderful because these were the actors that were going to be playing the parts. And so their questions are so important. Um, yeah. And is that, that process for you, is it the, um, the feedback from the actors or the director or just hearing it read or is it a combination of all those things that influences the draft process? I think it's a combination of all of those things. I think you have to hold I think you have to hold on to the relationship between you and the director because um, ultimately you're the people that are looking at it as a whole thing and from the outside. Whereas um, all you know actors are, are going to be interested in the particular role that they're playing and that's really important too. Mm. Um, but uh, you kind of have to hold on hold on to a, a whole picture view, if that makes sense. Yeah. Um, and but Dominic and I worked very well together and, and had good dialogue and he pushed me when I needed pushing and it was good. Fantastic. Yeah. Because it's so it's I think it's really interesting to think about that germ of the reality TV issue that I think though it's I'm not sure someone who didn't know that watching it now would necessarily relate right to that. But no. I still think once you know that it's it's so 
interesting to think about all those other themes in the play and yeah. how that maybe relates to these you know I read an article recently and it was a woman kind of saying we're not interested in reality tv anymore and fame culture is is beginning its death and I don't know whether that's true or not and whether that's a good thing but um yeah has has sort of thinking about those issues as you work with the play made you think anything about those issues in our culture at the oh absolutely and I mean I think um for me I mean it came out of a me questioning my own uh, so I found myself watching reality TV and and especially the ones I found myself watching especially the ones that are that were to do with women so things like America's Next Top Model and <laughs> The Swan which is like which no longer happens thank goodness but it was the most horrible thing ever um it was this program where women used to have like six hours of uh plastic surgery all over their body in order oh. to change from being an ugly duckling into a swan oh, no. and it was an american show um <laughs> <Sorry>. <laughs> in britain it would they would have just gone to gokwan it would have been fine but um so but i think as well where for me, I was thinking about this this morning, I think it kind of goes back to a lot of these ideas, go back to um, my study of feminism, mm. because um, that's where I became very interested in the idea of the embodied experience and how it's very difficult, it's impossible to separate out a character from the body that they live, they inhabit and that they live in. And um, I guess as well, the kind of feminism that I'm particularly interested in is to do with difference feminism and, you know, the pos allowing for the possibility of multiple identities and, mm. and questioning sort of dichotomous thinking that says there's one thing or the other is nature, there's culture, there's men, there's women. Um, and that that thinking has not served women very well, but neither has it served anybody who has uh, a body that throws up a question so it doesn't, you know, conjoined twins, intersex mm -hmm. people, um, gay people, all of that. So I think that theory kind of informed uh, me and, and what I'm interested in and certainly has informed the play. Um, reality TV, but then I think it's, it's interesting. Somebody said to me the other day that for them... It was they felt it was about the sort of self help books that came up came ah. out in the nineties. Um, so I think ultimately it's about uh, the idea of the difference between change that is uh, self motivated and that comes from inside a person and change that's imposed from the outside, oh. uh, and that those two things and and questioning we've become really interested in this narrative of change and that's what reality tv is all about but um it's very superficial i think and uh and it appears to be hugely empowering but then it's what happens when the cameras are shut off afterwards mm. and somebody walks off into their life and where does it leave them so yeah all oh, of those things. That's <laughs> fascinating. And did you study, because um, you mentioned studying feminism, mm -hmm. did you study fe feminism as a standalone subject or was that part of other things you were studying? Um, I studied it in relation to a degree in English literature. Ah, okay. Uh, but um, we did a wonderful course actually where the first half was completely theory and the second half was then looking at theory in relation to, uh, to particular works. Mm -hmm. um, but yeah. Yeah. Oh, very good. And, and do you feel, would you call yourself a feminist? Oh, absolutely, yeah. yeah. And it makes me so sad um, when young girls that I meet, when, I, when I, I do a lot of work with teenagers, are afraid to 
use the word or think it's a dirty word or even I think Beyonce came out recently and said oh we ha I have to come up with a new word for feminism because that's not what I am it's just it makes me quite upset <laughs> mm. I spoken to it's interesting a lot of women of uh, slightly older women who I think went through a, a big fight for the rights of women in their youth and they seem very upset at the younger generation feeling like it's a dirty word or something yeah. they can't be be associated with and I think it's quite exciting to hear that that you don't feel that and that that's no, something that all, you no. feel okay with because yeah. I do think it's it's funny that when a word like that it becomes burdened by certain associations with it but it it yeah and it maybe gets a negative connotation for people that it doesn't necessarily deserve absolutely and I think it's about again going back to that kind of either or way of thinking about things that sort of suggest that if you are a fem if you describe yourself as a feminist that means you hate men or all of that mm. and of course that's not the case at all <laughs> and it's something so beautiful about future proof i think is is again i don't want to give too much away but the fact that it it makes a space and it really starts to examine this idea of um people's uh vision of themselves and exactly what you're saying about sort of self-perception versus perception of others and and trying to work toward a, even in the sort of kind of dreamy, beautiful, otherworldly wor world mm. of future-proof, maybe it's a opening up a pathway or a model for a world where we can be more accepting of, you know, feminists who like men and <laughs> people who are more than one gender yeah, and so on and so people who are more than one gender, people who have... <laughs> Uh, kind of plurality within their bodies. I mean, I think Siamese twins are particularly interesting, mm. or conjoined twins is the more politically correct term, but in the play they're called Siamese because that it would be sort of what they sure. were known as. Um, uh, because, what you know, what does it mean to have uh, a body that is connected to another body at all times? Mm. And, and it throws up some really interesting questions. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I read a really interesting article recently about uh, twins that are... Uh, from the UK that are joined by the head and they have parts of their brain um, in the thalamus that are connected and so one of them can be watching the telly and the other one will laugh um, and it, it throws up really interesting ideas about what does it mean to be I like what yes. isn't what is I and and what is somebody else and yeah wow fascinating but also of course I lived in experience and a reality for somebody so you can't afford to get too theoretical about it as well yeah because it's someone's life exactly isn't it? Yeah. um i speaking of lies i wanted to just ask you a couple questions about um because i think it, there's an interesting aspect to your career in that you're you've worked as a performer and as a playwright haven't you yeah. and i was wondering if you wanted to talk a bit about that and if these different aspects inform one another or if you keep them very separate um I, no they definitely inform one another and I suppose having performed my own work as well that makes a huge difference I mean originally when I moved to Scotland first I had been working professionally in theatre in Ireland for a number of years um, and kind of felt like in my hometown of Cork I had re reached a sort of glass ceiling um, where it, it, I didn't seem to be able to progress and and so I decided I wanted to come somebody where, somewhere where people didn't know me um, and see if the work could speak for itself. And I attempted for the first six months and thought, what did I do that for? <laughs> um, but uh, eventually The Artist Wing was the show that kind of took off. And the reason why I performed it myself, to be completely honest, was because I didn't actually know anybody else. <laughs> um, and uh, my now husband did the music live and then 
I got my friend Tom Creed, who's a long-standing collaborator, who's Irish, to direct it. But um, but we performed it in Scotland and in Ireland, and we toured in Europe as well. So, but I I love the performing. Um, but I think that my passion is with the writing, and okay. and so it's interesting. I don't consider myself to be an actor, um, so the art of swimming is very much about me as myself saying, "I'm going to tell you a story," rather than I'm going to become somebody else. And there are times when I perform the character. Uh, it's about Mercedes Gleitzer, who's the first British woman to swim the English Channel, uh -huh. um, but. Uh, I sort of inhabit Mercedes, but I come out of her again and kind of go back to being Linda. So, oh, okay. so it's that kind of um, talking to the audience, uh, storytelling thing that I'm kind of most comfortable with. But when I was in university, I used to act all the time, and that's where the writing kind of came out of um, being involved in a drama society, and that was who I wrote my first play for. Um, and I, I will certainly, I imagine, do it again. Uh -huh. um, but uh, I think... <laughs> Somebody said to me, why do you want to write bigger plays when you make these lovely miniatures? And I reacted against that quite strongly, mm. and that's when I decided to, to try and write Future Proof and to make it big and ambitious. Mm. And I think also that comes from a desire to begin to be commissioned by bigger venues and theatres like The Traverse and like Dundee Rep um, in order to sustain a career mm -hmm. and just to learn. I think the experience of doing... A show like this, I'm, I mean, I'm going to learn so much from it, from seeing an audience's reaction to it, from going through the process um, in this way. And I just think that's really important in terms of career development. And then whether you go back to making smaller pieces or not, it, it is another question. But, yeah, I think it's, re it's just important. Absolutely. Yeah. Because we, um, when we work with younger playwrights, and we, we are often encouraging them... Um, to write plays with, with a small cast, both in terms of their learning process and in terms of the expense of, you know, that it's harder for a lot of small theatres to stage a Absolutely, play with a yeah. large cast. But at the same time, exactly what you're saying, I think it's such a good point that, uh, um, I mean, you don't ever have to write a play with a big cast if you no. don't want to. But I think that there's, when you start thinking about these bigger stages, there's a certain point in your career when it really makes sense to explore Yeah, that. and to be noted, to sort of, because, you know, you've got to think about the fact that theatres are being so m sent so many scripts or having so many conversations mm -hmm. with so many different writers that you have to present something that's going to stand out on their stage and be interesting for somebody to direct as well and present them with challenges. Um, and I think when you're in that emerging, I hate that word, but emerging <laughs> playwright phase, you can get kind of trapped for in doing sort of two-handers in black box theatres. Yeah, and those yeah. are absolutely essential thing to do and easy to tour and all of that and so ultimately of course you're going to end up doing them again at certain points but it's just I just yeah I was excited by the idea of doing something bigger. And do you uh, I'm wondering first of all if you have any good advice for young and emerging playwrights if I can say that word again and also if you have a What's your sort of next dream project that you'd like to work on? Um, well, I've got uh, advice for young and emerging playwrights. Um, <laughs> I don't know. I'll maybe come back to that one. Okay. <laughs> but um, I've got a few things I'm thinking about that I want to write. And I suppose the thing I'm looking forward to doing now, actually, is I have a, um, a little pot of money to go away and research. Um, I'm interested in... Um, 
working on something to do with female convicts that were transported to Australia in the 1700s. Um, and uh, there's a lot that appeals to me about that, the possibility of a really strong female cast. And mm. um, so that's so. what's great is that I get to go to a library for a while now and sit oh, and read books, which is um, my, one of my favourite things. <laughs> and um, so that's one of the things. And then there's a few other plays that I've, been on the back burner for a while and I need to go and look at them again uh-huh. and then advice for young playwrights I mean I think go and see as much as you can mm-hmm. I mean when I was um when I was a student we used to come over to the festival every year and I used to do various jobs or work uh all summer long and then save up all my money and come to Edinburgh and spend it all on theatre <laughs> and eat beans and toast for a month and um it's just so important to see as much as possible and to see things from all over the world and so festivals like this mm-hmm. are amazing from that point of view um and to be challenged and to always be interested in what's happening culturally I think you, you know th- just really simple things like you know, read the newspaper and and sure. and engage. Um, but uh, and if you are, if you do find yourself watching a lot of uh, really crap television, you know, think about what you can do with that. Um, <laughs> Make it better. <laughs> you know, you might be able to use that in some way. Yeah. But um, <laughs> and I think as well, it's just important to engage with people like, for example, the Playwright Studio Scotland, mm-hmm. who are very important to me. I got mentorship from them um, on this play and. And that's just great. And just to meet other playwrights and, and to meet playwrights who are older and wiser and have a lot of mm. advice is really important. Absolutely. And join your union, because uh, <laughs> I'm <laughs> I'm part of the union, which is the Scottish Society of Playwrights. And I think that um, we have such a great deal here. We get, you know, we have really good um, rates of pay and stuff. And all of that is only there because people have worked hard to get it. So it's important to take part. Good. So you community. had loads of advice. Yeah, in the end. <laughs> um, well, that's super. I think we're just about out of time. But I did just want to say, um, do you have any uh, super hot tips or what's the show you're um, excited about going to see in the festival? Well, I saw yesterday, I saw um, Mission Drift by Team, who've been coming here for, you know, four years. And I think we were both here in 2007 maybe when I was performing the art swimming and it's fabulous um well really epic very angry um, lovely work and then um <laughs> yesterday I also saw Man of Valor Corn Exchange from Ireland mm-hmm. who are always worth a look and it's an incredible feature performance and then I have yet to see most of the stuff so that's what I'm doing for the week which okay. is really exciting but I'm really excited to see The Wheel by Yay. the National Theatre of Scotland <laughs> and of course Ten Plagues the other Traverse show so mm-hmm. there's so much Fantastic. That's wonderful. And I wanted to mention as well, um, this autumn on Saturday, the 1st of October, um, speaking of getting to work with playwrights and get to know them, Linda is doing one of our Traverse Playwriting Workshops. So if you would like to come along and spend some more time with Linda and uh, get to learn some more from her, and she's going to be doing a workshop on finding inspiration. 
And I think that I'm really looking forward to that. That's going to be really exciting. So more info on that on our website. And uh, you can get tickets at the box office. And um, so just to say thank you so much, thank Linda. You. I feel like I could talk to you for hours. And it's <laughs> a shame we've only got this time. But hopefully there will be many more times. And um, I really encourage everyone to go see Future Proof because it's fantastic. And um, we'll talk to you again soon. And uh, please join us next time for the next uh, Travcast in which we'll be speaking to another exciting Traverse playwright. Thanks very much. We hope you enjoyed this podcast from the Traverse Theatre Edinburgh. For more information, please log on to www.traverse.co.uk.